Hi, I'm Mike Pickles, and you're listening to the Daily Deal Podcast. We hear about inspirational stories from folks like you and I. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Mike Pickles Podcast, and I'm your host, Mike Pickles. Today's guest joins us all the way from Lakewood Ranch, Florida. Now, let's see if I can get this correctly. She's a critical care nurse. She's a family lawyer, and most recently, she's a novelist. Please welcome Nancy Perpal. Hi, Nancy. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Now, did I get those careers correctly? You did. <laughs> Absolutely. You, yes, I started as a critical care nurse. I wrote a textbook in nursing with some people from University of Pennsylvania, Advanced Concepts in Clinical Nursing. And um, the reason why I went to law school was the hospital that I was working at didn't adopt any of the protocols that many of the hospitals across the country were adopting as a result of that textbook. So I talked to somebody about how do I get the administration to listen to me? And they said, go to law school, you'll have power. So that's how I ended up in law school. <laughs> oh, Wow. And how long did you practice law? And that was family law, divorce law? Um, yes. I Actually, initially, I started to do um, defense malpractice. Um, and just to you know get some more information, thinking at that time, I'd go back into administration, hospital administration. But life got in the way, as well as a divorce. <laughs> and um, I was given 75 divorce files the first day I was hired at that firm, since I was the only lawyer, uh, only female lawyer. And I was told that divorce was women's work. And um, in any event, I uh, I had a very, very uh, good practice in family law while I was doing defense malpractice. And then the firm I was working with lost the contract to represent the physicians. And I left the firm and took all of those clients with me. Wow. So I did it for 34 years. 34 years. Yeah. So for 34 years, I took marriages apart. And in my retirement, which I'm now retired, I'm writing a novel and a nonfiction book to try to keep marriages together. All right. So, all right. So we've got two things here we need to talk about. So the first one, picking marriages apart, you you said, as a divorce lawyer, family lawyer, um, what did you see as far as the... Uh, What's the proper word I'm looking for? The trends, I guess. What were sort of the trends in divorces that you noticed? I think the biggest trend that I saw during my practice was in the beginning, if a woman came into the office for a divorce, she had no idea what the finances of the of the couple were. She had no idea how to write a check. She had no idea really of any of the assets and also, um, at the time, pensions were not considered marital property. They were considered they were earned by the man, and therefore they belonged to the man. And that obviously substantially changed during my practice. Um, what I saw in my practice is the shift from the traditional model of marriage. That is, you get it's more of a financial relationship where 
a woman will marry a man if he can give her a center hall two-story colonial and he's going to be a good provider. Um, and that's the traditional, you know, the man makes all the rules. You don't question him. You, he decides if he's going to what you're going to move. He decides most of the major um, major issues in a marriage. And it became more of a romantic relationship, a love-based rela relationship, where if you weren't happy, you got a divorce. If you no longer loved the person that you were with, you got a divorce. I think my parents, certainly, they were married for 56 years. Uh, you know, they, they stayed together for life. And the biggest change that I've seen is that people in the United States and in Canada and in many other countries that not, did not formally um, bail on a marriage because they were unhappy, the tide is turning. If people aren't happy in a marriage, they look to get out of it and think that they're gonna make a better decision in the next marriage. What I saw is that generally, unless you really do an evaluation of yourself, when you get a divorce and what you did to contribute to the problems in the marriage, you're going to make the same mistakes over and over again. Right. Agreed. Just before the podcast, I looked up for Canada because I was curious. I think in 2022, we had almost 3 million divorces. 3 million. Wow. Well, the Canada, I think, is 17th on the planet in terms of divorces. Um, the United States is second. Wow. I mean, a, a lot of it, I know, <clears throat> excuse me, is because of what you just said. If they're not happy, they leave. They don't stay around anymore like they used to with our parents, our grandparents. Right. So what are some other reasons, do you think, besides being unhappy that you've seen in your practice? Uh, I have seen a lot of um, financial, we now call it financial infidelity, right. um, where somebody is either gambling the assets away, drinking the assets away cocaining the assets away. Um, there's a lot of substance abuse. I don't have, I don't think this is news to any of your audience. No. Tremendous problem with substance abuse throughout the world. Um, the United States particularly uh, has a significant problem. I don't know what the, the statistics are in Canada, but my understanding is that we are way far above uh, any Canadian statistics. Um, domestic abuse is really a result of the substance abuse. When people can't control themselves and they try to lash out at the person that they think is the tangible representation of their problems, then you get into domestic violence. And as I said, a few minutes ago, when I first started practicing, it was really women were getting divorced because of domestic violence. Um, they would have stayed in the marriage and put up with it if it hadn't been for the abuse. And that's a big change, as I said. If they're not happy, women file for divorce as frequently as men anymore. Yeah, and I've noticed, I don't think the audience is uh, gonna say no to this too, but the last couple of years of COVID where everybody was just locked up together, there was a lot of domestic abuse, substance abuse, alcohol abuse, all those abuses you just mentioned, which just magnified it drastically. Well, I do know the statistics in both countries, the United States and in Canada, um, there's been a dra dramatic um, spike in divorces. And um, I don't know when this is actually going to air, but we have Valentine's Day in the United States on Tuesday. 
And um, January, February, and March are the biggest times, at least in the United States, that divorces are filed. People wait until January after the holidays, and then they file before Valentine's Day because they can't buy a Valentine's Day card for their spouse. So uh, that it's interesting that you would think that February is a month of love. And it's really sometimes it's a, a month of reckoning. And I think for many people being dumped, <laughs> as it were, by someone that you trusted with your heart and trusted they wouldn't hurt you is really a devastating, it, it's devastating to people. And unless you can really think about it, instead of being bitter, be better as a result of it, it can really um, make people shell people, as they call them, that they never quite get over it. Yeah. And so what I'm trying to do in my novel, and also, which is around which all things bend, which is, of course, love. <laughs> I mean, everyone is looking for love. Um, and most of the psychologists um, and the books that I've read say, tell me how you were loved as a child and I'll tell you how you will love. And we learn how to love as infants. We learn how to love as toddlers, as you know, grade schoolers, as we grow up with the family of origin. And if we are loved, and loved in a you know a very constructive way, then we can go on and have good relationships. But I don't know anybody that I've ever met in my entire life has who hasn't come out of childhood with some issues. Yeah. <laughs> so what you need to do is decide what those issues are and work on them before you get married, not after you get married, because marrying someone is not going to make you happy. What's going to make you happy is knowing yourself and loving yourself. And you can't love somebody else unless you love yourself. Very well put. That reminds me of uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Abraham Maslow, where you don't have the belongingness, love, you know, security, intimacy, everything from the beginning. You can't climb up the, the triangle, the ladder. So well said. You sound more like a psychologist than a lawyer. <laughs> well, I think I think doing family law and doing divorce work is 95% psychologist and 5% being the law in certainly in our country and in your country as well. I'm aware of that you know there are statutes, there are cases now. This is not news to anybody. It's it's no longer you don't need infidelity, you don't need some other issues, you know, as you did in the 50s, 60s and 70s. Um you know, it's all, it's pretty straightforward anymore. And even the custody is pretty straightforward. Um, most states are looking to have, you know, both parents very involved in the child's life. And there's really, I mean, I did so much custody litigation before the statutes and, and the law was really well, well uh, laid out so that you could give it to people and say, you can't move to California from Pennsylvania, which is where I practice, without the permission of the of the father or the mother, in, in which case, you know, depending upon which parent was moving. But when I first started practicing law 
and um, a, a client came in um, and his wife wanted to move the children to California from Pennsylvania. And I brought a petition to try to stop it. The judge basically chastised me and said, haven't you ever heard of the Commerce Clause? I thought the Commerce Clause, what does that have to do with the price of eggs? But the bottom line was, if, if the mother wanted to leave with the children, even if it was cross country, and this was the early 80s, and you know there was very little chance that this man was gonna see his kids again until the summer, you couldn't do anything about it. And then the law started to change. You know, We would appeal, and I appealed that case, you appeal, you lose, you you know, you take another case to court and you appeal that if you get a bad decision. And eventually the tide starts to turn. And now, of course, it's basically everybody's looking for 50-50. So that's basically a big, big change. Child custody is a change. You mentioned laws quite a bit. What's your feel or what's your take on uh, government interference as far as marriage or divorce? Um, I don't think that the government really is going to get involved too much in marriage. I mean, it's a state by state decision in our country, um, in the United States. Every state has a statute about when you want to dissolve a marriage, what you have to do and what the result is going to be. If it's equitable distribution, if it's community property, which is 50-50, it's, it's all laid out. Um, to the extent that you're considering, you know, um, the legislature in a state government interference, that's a whole different issue. I mean, it would be chaos without it. Um, not that it isn't chaos with it. <laughs> but um, no, I, I, I think that um, I don't think I know that there has been some discussion about federalizing some aspects of marriage, um, but that's never gotten legs. So. Um, I don't really think that's a threat. Okay. So I already mentioned last year in Canada, we had about 3 million divorces. So where mm -hmm. do you see divorce going in the future? Better, worse, staying the same? Um, until human beings change, which how many, how many thousands of years did it take for us to be able to do Zooms and podcasts and, and speak intelligently? Until we change... I don't really see relationships changing. Um, I think that the social climate throughout the world with social media, um, people really Disneyfication of, of relationships. You know, you're looking at how everybody else is so happy and you're sitting in, you know, you're sitting there and you're saying, you know, why aren't I that happy? I mean, it, there's such fantasy about what you should expect in a relationship that I personally don't see it changing very much. Um, the statistics are in that children who come from a divorced family are 80% more likely to get divorced. So there you go. I mean, you know, it's generation by generation by generation. And the last 10 years that I practiced, um, a young man came in, the first one, <laughs> young man, very attractive young man, late 20s, um, came in for divorce and asked me if I recognized him. And I said, no, I'm sorry, I don't. He said, well, I was 12 when you met me. You represented my mother when my father was suing her for custody of me. And he said, I never forgot you, never forgot how reassuring you were. 
And, you know, it, now he's there for his divorce. Wow. So, and then I had repeat customers. I had other children who I had represented one or the other parent um, come in for their divorce. So, I mean, it, it continues. As I said, we model what we learn, right? I mean, yeah. you're a teacher, aren't you? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> we model what we learn. Yeah. If there's no interest in in study or education in a home, you know, what are you supposed to do with that? I mean, how can you motivate children who haven't been taught the importance of, of study and the infrastructure of why you go to school, why you're learning this? So it's the same thing with the family. Yeah, good point. Now, would you say that because um, some people have said this before in the past, is is some of the issues with divorces why they're so there's so many of them they're increasing? Would you say that lawyers are partly to blame too? Because it's a business, right? It's a business for them. So or in um, your case, you're like, no, no, no. We just take it as we see, but we're not encouraging it. I don't think lawyers are encouraging it. I think um movies are encouraging it. I think social media is encouraging it. Um, I think Netflix is encouraging it. Uh, I think it's just an accepted alternative to make yourself happy in a situation that you're no longer happy in. I really don't think lawyers are the cause of that. I know we get blamed for a lot, yeah, <laughs> but I don't think lawyers really have any influence on, on the internal workings of a marriage. I really don't. I think people come to their own conclusion. And as you mentioned about COVID, being with somebody 24-7 for all those months that there was a lockdown, that you, you learn a lot about somebody that you may not have otherwise learned. For example, they're cheating on you, you know, financial infidelity, just you don't like the way they chew their food. Have you ever seen The War of the Roses? Yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, it, you know, it's... We're human beings. We're searching for something that we came into the world needing. And none of us had any choice in our family of origin. None of us had any choice in what gender we'd be, what color we'd be, how much intelligence we'd had. We had no control over the fact that we're here on this planet. And we spend the rest of our lives trying to gain control of an environment that we didn't ask to be in. We're here. Hello, zoom us up. <laughs> That's right. Make the best of it. Yeah. Right. Whatever hand we are dealt. That's All right. right. Let's skip the, the divorce part here for a second, because I know you wrote a book uh, around which all things bend. Yes. How or why did you write that book? I wrote that book as a novel because uh, during my practice, um, as I said, I was a nurse in my first profession. And it was all about education, 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 educate the diabetic patient, educate the heart patient, educate the cancer patient. Um, and so I used that model in my, my practice and I bought pamphlets from the American Bar Association. I bought in the old days videos, if you can, you know, the VCR. Yeah. I bought, I bought everything to try to educate my, my patients, I mean, patients, my, my clients. And, um, hardly anybody read it. You know, nobody really wants to read that type of literature when you're in a state of anxiety and you're going through a very traumatic time. And divorce is a trauma. 
it's a trauma. You're disrupting your normal life. You're disrupting, you know, your future is going to be changing. The finances are going to be changing without a doubt, unless you're, you know, Elon Musk or somebody. But in any event, um, so I decided to write it as a novel so that people could identify with the protagonist who is a veteran returning from Afghanistan. He He's returning to a very large ranch in Montana, which he's going to eventually inherit. And he does, just as everyone in his family had done, serve your country, come back, get married, settle down, have a couple of kids so that they can inherit the fortune. And that's what he was going to do. But he realized that the person that he was going to marry was absolutely the wrong fit. And he breaks the engagement. And then the story goes on about all the consequences that flow from that. And how's your book doing? Like, when did it come out? Last year? It came out August of 22. And it's doing well. It's getting five star, five star reviews. And these aren't from my family. (laughs) (laughs) Five. I don't think my family's read the book yet. But um, no, I'm kidding. Um, No, they're people who've bought the book on Amazon and and think it's really good. Um, There's a lot of messages in it. Uh, Every chapter starts with a quote which basically undergirds what the, you know, what's going to happen in the, in the chapter um, and gives you like a preview of what the action is going to be. So it's doing well. Um, I mean, I'm thrilled with the reception it's gotten. I've had a couple of book signings that's gone very well and speaking engagements, a lot of podcasts. So a couple of TV interviews. So it's going well. Congratulations. So Thanks. did you did you self-publish or publisher picked you up? Um, no, actually, I I decided that I was going to do like what they call the hybrid version of publishing. And um, Simon and Schuster has a um, sister company. It's called Archway, which um, I went with. But I learned a lot from that experience as well. You have to pay um, to have it published. So yes, I did self-publishing. It was a very, very interesting experience to try to do that. Um, And I, for my nonfiction book, um, The Malnourished Marriage, Five Essential Emotional Nutrients for a Healthy Relationship, um, I did um, inquire of two agents in New York and they both loved the name of the book, the title of the book. They loved the concept. Um, They gave me an A plus on the book proposal but they said you don't have enough of an author platform. And so that's what I'm doing. These podcasts, the TV interviews, I do have a website, which has a lot of information on it. If you're anyone in your audience is interested, it's Nancy per Paul, P as in Peter, E-R, P as in Peter, A-L-L.com, Nancy And there's a lot of information on that. And I'm getting a lot of traction from having done these podcasts. So I hope to build an author platform and um, go back to those agents and try to do it traditionally this time. Yeah. So do you have any ideas already about your next your next writing, your next story, your next book? Well, my next story after after I finish, I wrote The Malnourished Marriage already. I just have to rewrite it and edit it and okay. um, include some other things in it. Um the story that I really, I did this book as a rollout because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but 
uh, the next novel, it's going to be a novel. It's called Crawling Out of Crazyville. And it is about uh, a young woman who is a scientist. And she's basically, um, you know, she's in a very bad marriage. She's um, realizing that her husband um, is really somewhat verbally abusive to the children. And she wants to get out of that relationship and how she goes about it and what happens. So it's really, that one is really, really interesting. There's a lot of suspense. There's a murder. <laughs> <laughs> I I would predict you're going to do quite well. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people in that situation you just described. Yeah, there are. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who are not very happy. I really feel that if people could learn a different way to communicate with each other, um, it would solve a lot of the problems and a lot of the issues that come up in a marriage have got to be resolved. And if they're not resolved, they come up over and over and over again. There's usually one issue in every marriage that never quite gets resolved. And I'm not saying that my, this book is going to be able to resolve that. But I'm saying that if you use a different language to try to communicate clearly your thoughts and your ideas, you're more likely to have your partner or your spouse understand what it is you're really trying to say. You know, men say 7,000 words a day, women say 22,000 words. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, we trip over our tongues and it doesn't have the effect that we're looking for on our partner or spouse. So I use the metaphor of food to try to get people to use a different lexicon. In other words, communication is like water. Water can either flow or it can crash. Words can either flow or they can crash. And you can't live more than three days, although in Turkey and Syria now with these earthquakes, it seems that people can live longer than three days without water. Um, but the, the thought is you can't, and you can't live in a relationship without communication. It's just impossible, whether it's body language or whether it's verbal communication. John Gottman at the University of Washington um, has the Gottman Institute, and he talks about the most detrimental thing that a couple can do is roll their eyes, cross their arms when you're speaking to them, look at your cell phone, turn the back. I mean, all of these things are contempt. And he can predict within 90% of uh, the time, the couples that he sees in his laboratory, um, are they going to get divorced or are they going to make it? And if they show contempt towards each other, or even one person shows contempt towards the other, then his prediction is they're going to get divorced. So I, I think that when people get frustrated with their spouse or their partner, it's usually as a result of not understanding what it is they're asking, not understanding what their feelings are. So this book is an attempt to try to give people a different way of, a, uh, you know, if your marriage is on pause, it's on pause. So this is a way to push the play button. You know, if you've tried to talk to your spouse about something and it hasn't gone very well, then maybe what you can say is, you know, I think. I think our marriage is dehydrated. And then, you know, you get the attention of the spouse. What do you mean by that? 
I mean, communication is water and we're really not talking. I think we need to talk. And I mean, there are ways, and I suggest in this book, you know, ways to start the conversation. Because without the conversation that you have with your spouse, your marriage is going to be on pause and then eventually fizzle out. Yeah, very interesting. I agree with you that communication is key. That reminds me of a book that uh, came out several years ago. Was it called The Five Love Languages? Yes, yes. Yeah, and if you're not um, speaking the language that they understand, then uh, mm -hmm. you know you, you tend to drift. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, uh, that was Chapman. Chapman, um, correct. Yeah, John Chapman, I think. Yeah. Um, he was a, he's a pastor and he wrote this book as a result of all the counseling that he was doing with his, his parishioners. And it's an excellent book. It's an excellent yeah. book. Yeah. And, um, you know, I would, I, I advise people who have gone through a divorce to read that book and really figure out what the love language is of the person that you're thinking about, you know, aligning with after you get your divorce, because unless you really learn from your experience, you're going to repeat it. Repeat them. Yeah. So is it fair to say now that Nancy Perpel is a novelist? <laughs> yes. yes. Um, I would say that I'm a writer now because I'm going to do a nonfiction book. So I would say I'm a writer, but I've been a writer my whole life. Yeah. When I was five years old, I entered into, I thought I was, I'll tell you why I thought, I say I thought, um, Highlights had a contest. You could win a pony if you won this contest um, about a story. So I wrote this story about a duck and a horse. And um, my older brother helped me, you know, with the language, you know, punctuation and spelling. I gave it to my mother. And when I, when they were supposed to announce the contest winner, I went out and started sitting out on the stoop waiting for them to deliver my pony because I was so sure that they were going to choose my story because it was so great. In any event, <laughs> I found out many years later that my mother never mailed it because she thought it was great. And there's no way with seven kids she wanted a pony. <laughs> so uh, in any event, I've, I've been writing my whole life. Um, you know, when I was in nursing school, I wrote the, in the nursing school journal. Um, as I said, as a, as a nurse, I wrote a textbook I used to publish in the nursing journals. I love writing. It, it, so, I just love it. So what's your day look like now? You get up, have your coffee or tea, and you start writing? What, like, what's your day look uh, like? Yes, actually. I get up most days very early, and I write for about four hours, and then I get on with the rest of my day. Um, so... I really, en I, I enjoy it. Um, my husband has Parkinson's disease, so it's limited what we can do. When we first retired, we played golf every day and we did a lot. We traveled, we did other things. But right now, um, this this lifestyle, what I'm doing really suits both of us. So I'm here if he needs me and um, it, it it works out very, very well. Okay. And are you a pen to paper writer or you're on the computer now? No, I'm a computer writer. Yeah. Okay. Although I, I wish I had paid more attention and learned more Microsoft Word uh, before I retired. I did digital dictation and I had a staff of nine and um, I was very spoiled. I had an office manager. I had, um, you know, the... Um, 
the in, the infrastructure for the computer if anything happened um the tech support etc and i don't have that now <laughs> <laughs> yeah you need a staff again i do so, i do so so in the last few minutes we have together nancy i'm curious what's next for nancy where do you see yourself in say 5 years um you know that's a really interesting question i i really want to try to get the message out that before you throw in the towel and before you decide that you didn't choose the right person this time, you're going to do it better the next time, that you really reevaluate what you have, really reevaluate who you are. And it divorce has a devastating effect on children. I don't care. When I got divorced um, the first time, I, I will tell you that they used to say, if the parents are happy, the children will be happy. That's BS. That is not true. Uh, children always want their nuclear family together. They just do. And um, it has a devastating effect on the family, on the extended family, on the on your so you know your friends. Fortunately, sometimes people don't pick sides, but sometimes they do. And, you know, I, I really wish that I see myself speaking a lot, um, you know, at churches, although I'm starting that now, you know, at different groups, women's groups, men's groups, um, about what you should evaluate before you decide that you want to get a divorce. And there are many things that you should evaluate, not just the person that you're married to, but yourself. <laughs> so what I think I hear you saying is in the next five years, 10 years, Nancy's not only going to continue writing, but you're going to be a speaker, more of a speaker too. Yes. Yes, I hope to be. Good for you. I hope you do too, because I can hear it that you have a, a good message to deliver and you have lots of experience. I mean, a critical care nurse, a lawyer, now a writer, novelist. Uh, your your current family situation, like you have lots to say. Well, I can tell you that when you're married to somebody and they have a medical diagnosis that's long-term, and um, even if it's short-term, mm -hmm. it doesn't just happen to the patient or the person with the illness. It happens to the couple. And you really need to reconcile your expectations um, of what your life is going to be and not get depressed, not be, you know, not identify with the illness, but, and I'm not saying it's easy to embrace, but you really need to understand your feelings for this person and the fact that they do need your love and support. That's fantastic. I, that's really fantastic. I really do appreciate. I know you and I had a little bit of uh, challenges trying to gem or mash or mesh our uh, our schedules. So I really appreciate you taking the time today to meet. I really, really do, Nancy. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate the invitation, and I hope some of what we've chatted about will help somebody out there. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, and I hope you did, be sure to subscribe and share with your family and friends. And remember, you may be given a cactus in life, but you don't have to sit on it. <laughs>